1: Welcome to Sunstein Sessions on iHeartRadio, conversations about issues that matter. Here's your host, winner of two Gracie Awards, Shelley Sunstein.
0: Good morning. I have with me two friends, John feel who is known in the 9-11 community as the activist, the activist perhaps more important than anyone in passing the Zadroga bill, although he would argue with that, because he's very modest. And also Michael Barish of the law firm Barrish & McGarry, because I wanted to update you on the latest that's going on in the 9-11 community, because this is constantly changing, and the issues continue to change. First John uh you just informed me and I hadn't even thought of this because of the government shutdown the 911 community is impacted.
2: Sure. Well, one thank you again for having me Michael. Um the 911 community's been through the mill and now um with this with this shutdown um while the VCF and the DOJ are up and running and doing what they're supposed to be doing those who are desperately awaiting their awards uh, um, uh, that has come to a screech and halt, and it's uh it's stopping people from getting payments because um, the Treasury Department's affected by the uh, shutdown. So, uh, you know,
0: and how does that impact their daily lives? W-
2: well, those who are waiting, who are behind in their mortgages and their rents, and and having problems putting food on the table, gas in the car to get to a chemo therapy appointment, these checks are to make these men and women, uniform and non-uniform, whole again. That was the whole object of the James Sedroga Health and Compensation Act. Make people whole again, and um, many of these people are not whole again because of this shutdown. And um, you know, shame on Congress, shame on administration, shame on anybody who plays politics with human life. I, I, my heart bleeds. Uh, we just we lack empathy and sympathy for those who 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 aren't blessed to have a uh, a, a well-paying job, and um, these men and women who have suffered for so long. And those federal workers, um, the the tough decisions are being made, and um, I, me, I can relate to that because I've been there. For others to say that is um, is utterly disgusting. Well, the um, and again, I join John in
1: thanking you for having us to shine a light on this. But these poor people in the nine eleven community who have already been waiting so long for their day in court, so to speak, for their award, and now have to face further delays. They've become political pawns in this fight over a wall at our southern border, which has nothing to do with them. I mean, they were already lied to by the EPA 17 years ago when they told us the air was safe. Poor Jimmy Zadroga, Detective Zadroga, who died 12 years ago this week. He'd be turning over in his grave if he had knew known what happened to his law with the namesake, James Zadroga Health and Compensation Act. It's really a shame.
0: And we're coming to another crisis. Actually, there are two crises. Uh, first of all, February first, the rules may change as to who gets what compensation for their nine eleven illnesses. So we're not going to know till February first. So if you are ill and you've been certified with a nine eleven illness, you well, have it, very limited time. Sh-
1: Shelley, I would submit that um, even if you haven't yet been certified by the health program for a nine eleven illness, if you know that you have any of the sixty eight cancers that have been linked by niosh to the world trade senate toxins there's a presumption that these cancers caused your uh, were caused by the toxic exposure get an application filed with the victim compensation fund before february 1st or you're just going to get less money than those who were quote lucky enough to get sick earlier don't let that happen tell your friends about this february 1st change in the law and reduced awards. And
0: and again, just let me recap for those who who think you may be affected. You have to either have been below Canal Street on September 11th, any part of that day, or spent time below Canal Street in the eight months after. You didn't have to be here all the time.
1: And you didn't have to be a firefighter or police officer. This is eligible. The the students, the teachers, the office workers, the local residents, they're all eligible for this free health care and significant Compensation, but you must register yeah.
0: John you were just
2: yeah I'll let, I'll let Michael handle the lawyer stuff and and the deadline um, we're going to look back a year from now and say February 1st was an obstacle it was a hurdle um, and myself and Michael and many others have seen many obstacles and many hurdles over the years trying to get legislation passed um, but it's once again proof going back to what I said earlier the nine eleven community has been through the mill we're taking these people that are sick and dying and their families who have lost a loved one, and we're putting them on the, um, the alert again for more stress, for post-traumatic to rise, for more medications to be taken because they're looking at deadlines that truly affect the way they live. And now it's our job, it's our responsibility, the weight of the world on our shoulders to go back to DC again, 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 and again, to ask them to do what is morally right, And to put aside their political affiliation and just be patriots, just be Americans, just be human beings. Well, John, if there ever was a bipartisan issue, this is it. Because the
1: toxic dust didn't care whether you were a Democrat, Republican, black, white, Jewish, Muslim, Christian. It affected everybody.
0: But here is the biggest crisis starting December right December of this year 2019 the victim compensation fund can go away unless
1: actually it it ends Congress wrote the law it absolutely ends December 18th 2020 but starting in December of 18 we're gonna be looking at a one-year window to finish everything these claims generally take about a year so you're right in warning people about this coming my
2: words on my one kidney, the James Hetroga Health and Compensation Act, the VCF, the Victims Compensation Fund, will be refunded and extended.
0: How do you know that? Because, I know you're going um, to Washington. You have a big I lobbying
2: am, effort. Because I am I am nine for nine in Albany, in DC, in New Jersey, in Michigan, and I do not fail. And well, we're going to need that
1: kind I of guarantee confidence. You.
2: That's for sure.
1: Michael, do you share
0: John's confidence? Uh, no,
1: I wish I was as confident. Then again, I wasn't on the front lines of every—I uh, represented Jimmy Zedroga, so I was certainly fighting for it, but I never expected it as, as clearly as John. Well, let,
2: let, me, let, me, let i say that with confidence because I'm never going to say that I'm going to fail. We're going to hit bumps, potholes, obstacles, hurdles. It's going to be ugly again. None of these have ever been clean— it's funny because um, legislation that actually helps people is never clean. Um, there's always uh, opposition for some reason or another because of an affiliation or, or a special interest. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to get this uh, renewed and refunded. That's, that's a guarantee. Well, John, um, let's talk about
1: some of the positive aspects. In the short time that you and your group have already started lobbying, how many politicians have signed on?
2: Yeah, so uh, up until December 31st, um, you know, we had over 100 co-sponsors in the House and over 25 in the Senate. And, uh, you know, dear colleague letters went out in the House and the Senate yesterday, and people are getting back on board. We're going to be down there uh, in in February again. We're going to be down there next week, and um, uh, we're going to bring John Stewart down. And, you know, again, we no longer ask. We no longer beg. We no longer plead. We ask them, and we say to them, get on board. If you're not on board, I respect that. But do not get in the way and play politics with us. I have 14 years of experience in D.C. now, 264 trips, 1,304 meetings. I have zero tolerance for any incoming freshman or somebody who's been there for 40 years to get in the way and play with human life. I don't care who it is. It could be the Pope. It could be Elvis. It could be my mother. God bless us <laughs> all. If you get in our way, I will be your worst enemy.
0: Now, here's what's scary. Because you're sitting here thinking, okay, th- this number of people are sick. The numbers are growing every day. I, there is, are cancers uh, that uh, aren't even linked yet you know, there to will the be World be more Trade cancers. Center toxins.
2: You know, I never make a mistake, and I just admit I'm going to because I did make a mistake. Because from September 1st to January 1st, I had it at 39 fatalities for the year. But after cross-referencing uh, other fatality lists from others, and one from uh, Michael's uh, firm, um, we're at 61.
0: Just eight days into the new year?
2: Well, those are people that passed away in the last three months. Um, so it's 61 people that passed away in the last three months, and that's uh, that's staggering. Because last year we had a, a tally of 163, and uh, we're well on our way um and you're talking just about responders. Yes. Don't forget the, that the
1: students, teachers, local residents, and office workers, yes. they were breathing the same dust. They've come down with the same cancers. They are dying at the same rate as the responders. Not a day goes by without one of my clients passing away. That is staggering
2: and horrifying.
0: Is everyone who was in the area, Are is everyone doomed to falling ill
2: I think whoever worked on the pile or who was south of Canal Street, especially those who worked on the pile who had direct uh, impact, um, we were 100 times greater to get cancer than anybody else in your family or your friends or whatever, or someone who lived in Connecticut or around the country. Um, But again... I, I guarantee you, a third of the community gets um, asbestos cancer. Well it's we haven't coming. even
1: seen asbestosis uh, um, or mesothelioma yet.
2: Is, and and I, I don't say this.
1: Yeah, when does
0: that start? The Usually meso- the
1: latency period for that 20 is twenty years. So that's
0: crazy. Right around
1: the corner. Yeah. And Just, but what John said is absolutely right. Everybody, especially the responders, I know they're looking over their shoulder because they don't. They know that it's not a question of if, but when they get sick, which is why we implore people sign up for the health program because it sounds corny, but early detection really can save your life, especially with skin cancer, which is the most common of
2: all the linked cancers. Get yourself checked out. A year ago, a year ago, um, I helped put a, uh, retired NYPD, uh, officer in the World Trade Center Health Program. Wasn't sick. He didn't want to go in the program. He's, I don't want to go in there. It's not, you know, um, a year later, um, he never followed up. He never did anything. He had, um, half his uh, hand and fingers amputated from skin cancer. Um, And now he's got a claim. Now he's in the World Trade Center program. And if he would have just listened, if he just would have heeded my advice, um, he'd have his hand. It would have been an easy fix. Now, I mean, cancer's not an easy fix, but it would have been taken care of in in a timely fashion. Um, So many of these men still to this day have that warrior mentality. Um, Well, I don't want to take something away from somebody who deserves it more than me. I'm going to be fine. I'm not sick right now. You don't know if you're not sick. You didn't go to medical school. You don't know that tick and time bomb that's inside of you. So many of these men and women, um, uniform and non-uniform, are carrying these illnesses. And the World Trade Center Health Program can find them now and let you know what you need to do. So you're not deathly ill in a year and dead in two years.
0: And if you're a first responder, sick or not, you register with the World Trade Center Health Program in all 50 states. If
2: you were south of Canal Street and south of Houston Street, make the phone call, get on the internet, get in the program. This is not rocket science. If you were down there after 9-11, get in the program. It's that simple. Sick or not sick. I don't care if you have a, if you think you have the flu, if you have a runny nose, or if you have an earache or your chest hurts or you're something, just go, just go. Unfortunately, cool. the responders are treated differently than
1: the survivors, so that to be in the health program and if you're a survivor, you need to have some symptoms. Fine, but if you, as John was saying, if you do have any kind of breathing problems, if you do need, go to a dermatologist, go to a private dermatologist, get yourself checked out. If you are found with any kind of basal cell, squamous cell cancer, you're eligible. Ryanitis, bronchitis, GERD, you're eligible. Don't ignore this. We all know that uh, we've been subjected to some horrible, horrible toxins. Get yourself checked out.
0: And contact your congressional rep or your senator. Extend the victim compensation fund. We're not going to let go of this issue, as you know. And Michael Barish and John Field will be back from time to time. But do your part. Thank do you, Do it for Shelley, you. Do it for them. We appreciate
1: you shining light on this.
0: If you missed any part of this interview, you can download the iHeartRadio app and then catch up with my podcast, Sunstein Sessions. And when we come back, an inspiring story from a man who came here alone from Cameroon and made a life for himself and then went back to Cameroon and other places to pay it forward. That's next, Q104.3.
1: Sunstein Sessions continues on iHeartRadio. Once again, Shelly Sunstein.
0: Good morning. I am sitting here with an immigrant who has done so much good. I wanted to introduce you to Sixtus Adabong. He is from Cameroon. Yes, ma'am. And he is the author of a book called My Father's Gift. His father lost his leg. To diabetes. And Sixtus made it his life mission after that to help people in need and get access to health care. And he formed a nonprofit called Purpose Medical Mission. First of all, when did you come here?
3: I came to the United States when I was 19 years old. That was in 1995.
0: And your father, your family stayed in Cameroon?
3: Yes, ma'am. So my, I'm from a... Um, a small family but my um, parents were uh, farmers in a small village in West Africa uh, they had no formal education um, but they believed in um, giving us the best education that was available and made some um, pretty incredible sacrifices for me to come to the United States to study
0: all right so you came here to study yes ma'am so you came here legally i did
3: must have been hard leaving home it it was um it was very hard but um You know, I grew up in a place where there was very little opportunities um, for kids that were um, uh, growing up. And, um, and, you know, you come to this country and you face uh, just economic challenges, the cultural challenges, the social challenges. Um, But I just believe that uh, because of the sacrifices that many made on my behalf, I had to go back and do something to help um, with uh, the the situation in my country.
0: When you came here, did you know anyone here?
3: No, ma'am. Not a single person. And I was all on my own.
0: You were nineteen. <laughs> that had to have been frightening.
3: It was. It was. Um, but I, I, you know, I came here. I went to Arkansas first, and um, I was in Arkansas for a year. And and, um, and what school? And Harding University mm-hmm. in Arkansas, and it was a private school. And my my parents had um, pretty much sacrificed all the uh, resources they had to send me here. So after a year, I was stranded. And it turns out there was a pastor in Texas who said. Um, if you can make it to Texas, I can help find you a school and get you back on track. And I hitchhike a ride from um, Arkansas to Texas. You and hitchhiked? I, I sure did.
0: Didn't anyone warn you about hitchhiking?
3: Well, at that time, I wasn't afraid of anything. Oh,
0: okay, because you were nineteen.
3: And I was just trying to survive.
0: How often did you get back home?
3: I didn't. I wasn't able to go back home for the first the first ten years of my life. I oh did not see God. anyone in my family for ten years. Because I just couldn't afford it. It's two thousand dollars to um, I get a plane t- ticket back to Cameroon, and for ten years I could not afford two thousand two thousand dollars to go back to Cameroon.
0: How often? How were you in in touch with them? Letter,
3: phone calls, what? Usually phone calls when I could afford it, but when, that was it. When you could afford it. So how yeah. often was that? Sometimes once every couple of months, uh, sometimes every three months.
0: How did you have the strength to persevere? <sighs>
3: Well, serve determination, um, and I believe that I didn't have a choice but to succeed. I just had to keep pushing forward.
0: When did you find out that your father was ill?
3: The first year I went back to Cameroon was in um, uh, two thousand and five, and when I went there, I realized that he was um, uh, he was ailing, um, and he he'd been battling diabetes. And um, when I came back uh, to to the United States, um, I found that he was losing his leg from. Um, from diabetes,
0: is he still with us?
3: No, ma'am. Oh, he pa- I'm he sorry. passed away a few years ago.
0: Did Did you get to say goodbye to him in person? I, sh- I
3: sure did, and and that's um that's part of the story in my book. My father's gift, um, was that I spent the the last seven years of his life was the most incredible years because I was able to go to Cameroon, uh, not only to build uh, two hospitals, um, but to spend a lot of time with him. He was part of the project. It was his dream to be able to bring a clinic to my village which uh, had no medical facilities while I was growing up. And when he sent me to the United States, he said, make sure you come back and help the people, and I did. And so he was part of that project, and um, and um, I had the chance to say goodbye before he left.
0: Was it his illness that inspired you to go into medicine, or did you always want to go into the medical field?
3: Well, it, it part of it was his illness, but I... When I came to the United States, um, the thought in the back of my head was always, what career choices would I make that could be used in my country? Because I always thought of going back. And um, I came here and the first few jobs I had were just uh, nursing aid, um, things that had to do with healthcare, but it was at the lowest levels in the healthcare um, field. And I met some incredible people, just nurses and doctors, who saw something in me that I did not even see in myself. And they kept pushing me and pushing me and telling me, do not stop, keep going. And I did. And so I was able to get a, um, um, a master's degree in physician assistant studies. I've been practicing neurosurgery for 13 years.
0: How were you able to afford that? The education is so expensive.
3: It is expensive, but um, believe it or not, I was able to work night shift for six years and paid my way through school. So I went to school during the day and I worked at night.
0: Hard work, yes, ma'am. Instead of
3: a loan, well, I, I took a loan the, the last uh, couple of years of um, uh, of my graduate work, but yes, all of it was um, just hard work and paying cash for everything I, I, you know, I was able to um, to afford.
0: I am speaking to Sixtus Adabong. He came here from Cameroon when he was only nineteen years old, thanks to his parents just scrimping, saving, and wanting to give their son, the gift of the best life they could possibly give him, and um, his father uh, came down with diabetes and lost uh, a foot to diabetes, and that inspired you to form a nonprofit. I mean, not many people do what you've done. Tell us about the nonprofit and, and what work it's doing around the world.
3: So um, the the nonprofit is called Purpose Medical Mission, and it's a um, a nonprofit organization that I founded with a group of friends. And how that came about was when I decided that I wanted to go back to my village to open a clinic, my idea was just to open a small clinic, hopefully staffed by a nurse to help other farmers in my village uh, to take care of the chronic illnesses like diabetes and hypertension so they don't end up the way my father did. Um, I was able to talk to some colleagues in the hospital that I worked at, and some friends, and they accompanied me to Cameroon the first uh, on the first mission trip. And what what they saw was a complete lack of any medical facilities, no access to healthcare. And they came back to the United States and shared their stories with their friends and their families. And truly, that's how the organization was formed: Purpose Medical Mission. And it's a, it's a it's a breach of medical assistance to many on the developed places around the world. Um, And it started with my clinic in the village in Cameroon. Um, And our idea is to build sustainable um, infrastructures, Uh, teach the people to take care of themselves, uh, teach them how to uh, just do basic hygiene, preventative care. Um, But we've, we've been able to expand to different countries. We have two hospitals in Cameroon. We've helped build a hospital in the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo um, in Guatemala and Nicaragua. And now we have um, hospitals scattered all over the place. And the most incredible thing is the hospitals are functioning today because we were able to train them. We were able to empower them. We, we, We sat down with them and said, how can we help? It's all about sustainability. It's how can I help you take care of yourself and how can I make sure that this place, you're not sitting around waiting for me to come back, or um, the place shuts down while we're not there. It's continuous, nonstop uh, sustainability care.
0: What do you need from our listeners? What kind of help do you need?
3: Well, you know, people can um, uh, just go to purposemedicalmission.org to find out about uh, what we do. Um, uh, we ask people to volunteer um, as much as you can. You don't have to go to Africa or Nicaragua. You can volunteer right here in your neighborhood. Um, that's my message. That's my message in the book is for us, and hopefully I can use my story to inspire others to just think about uh, making changes in their lives, transforming their lives in a way that will make their communities and their world a better place. Um, that's what life is all about. So, yes, you can volunteer. You can uh, donate to our organization, um, but my, my hope is that and we can all just step up and do the best we can to make our world a better place.
0: It's interesting. I had um, a discussion with my oldest son and his wife and I said, "I." It, the discussion centered on it's my belief that everyone is born with a purpose in life. Absolutely. And you have to discover what that purpose is. It's not necessarily really evident and it's not necessarily bringing up your children to be the best human beings. What I was talking about went far beyond that, that there's a specific, because we all have the responsibility to bring up our children to be good human beings and to be everything they could be. I'm saying that I believe that there's a bigger purpose that each person has because everybody has a talent as well that may be undiscovered. Do you feel the same way? I
3: am 100% with you. I, I believe that um, we are created uniquely for a purpose. And um, that's part of it is just finding our identity. Finding our identity is the interaction that we have with other people, um, because this world is, 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 is all about that interaction is it's just through every interaction you can find your purpose i call it passport to purpose we are each other's passport to our purpose but you find that true value in life in the service of others so that helps in everything if you think of if you th- you think i think of myself and and one of the most incredible gift my father gave me was like you having this conversation with your son is the gift of realizing that we have a purpose and realizing that we are a gift. We are a gift to our family, to our world, to our friends. And when you start thinking of yourself as a gift, it changes everything. It changes the way you look at yourself. It changes the way you look at others because others are a gift. And together, we make the world better. Together, we we, we perfect it if we can just do our part as much as we can to help others find their own purpose. That's, that's what it's really all about.
0: And that's what makes you truly happy.
3: Absolutely. you know, Because the, I, if
0: you have a reason to wake up in the morning, yes, I mean, yes, having good food is wonderful, having clothes is wonderful. It's not what's going to bring you real happiness. Yes.
3: So I think someone once said the true value of life is found in the service of others. There's no better fulfillment in life than serving others. There's nothing wrong, wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with having those resources. But what are you truly using those resources for? How do we serve others? And when I say others, I don't mean going out of the world or going out of your, your, your community. You can serve your husband. You can serve your, your son. You can serve your, your spouses. You can serve your neighbor. But you truly find value in life when you do that. And it's, it, to me, it's, um, you know, traveling the world, I see myself in the kids that we serve, the families, because I hope they see themselves in me. Um, I was one of those kids in that village. I have been a recipient of charity, and today I find myself on the giving, mostly on the giving end of it. And, and I go there, and, and, and I'm hope to them. You know, they, some of the places we go to, these people have nothing, nothing. They have no running water and they have no electricity. But I tell them that I have been there and today I'm coming back to visit them. And the message I'm leaving behind is if strangers can come and take care of you, I expect you to take care of each other.
0: We only have a couple of minutes left. There's, is there anything we haven't touched on that you would like our listeners to know about you or your family or your wonderful organization or the book, My Father's Gift? And by the way, where, how can they get this book?
3: My father's gift, um, you can get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, wherever books are sold. Um, And and truly, the story is just, it's my journey from my um, little village in um, in West Africa, and the sacrifices my father made, and um, the challenges that I faced, um, especially in the United States. And um, truly, we find our strengths and our weaknesses in life through our challenges, through our obstacles. And I'm hoping that My story and my journey can inspire others to embrace their own stories and use those stories and their challenges to inspire others, to inspire other people. Um, You may think whatever you're going through in life is the end of it. You may think nobody else is possibly going through it. And um, I beg to differ. I think if you can use those challenges and you can talk about it and, and hopefully you get over it and use your experience to help others get through it. I I I think you know at the end of it that's that's the message. Let's help each other be the best of ourselves.
0: Thank you so much Sixtus Adabong and thank you for your gift to us my father's gift the book that you can get at amazon and for creating purpose medical mission if you missed any part of this you can catch up on my podcast sunstein sessions just download the iheart radio app and i'll see you guys tomorrow morning on the jim kerr rock and roll morning show q104.3 with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere